You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. This is the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and I am John Hudspeth, the host of this here show. So, hope you guys all had a fantastic Easter weekend. Personally, my Easter weekend kind of got flipped upside down. I was actually headed to my brother's house to get the festivities underway on Saturday, And I got a text from him saying that he was headed to the doctor's office to get a COVID test because he had been running a fever all night. Uh, Luckily, he ended up testing negative. He did not have COVID, but he was obviously still sick, had some kind of, you know, virus or something. So uh, basically all the plans we had made uh, got scratched. And so uh, and then my parents were already up there and they had been hanging out with him and his family the day before. And so my parents also, you know, there's a chance that they had whatever bug he had. And so basically they asked that uh, my wife and I and my other uh, siblings, my sisters and their families all just stay away. And so we scratched all of our plans. We moved it to this coming weekend. Um, But yeah, so it was a big bummer. Um, I had a lot of also just outdoor plans that I was going to do this weekend. Like, I mean, we had planned to set some trot lines. We were going to do some fishing on one of our farm ponds. Uh, my plan was to wake up before church and go shed hunting and just none of that, uh, none of that happened. Uh, my wife and I, we did hop in the ATV and drive around for hour, hour and a half or so. 
Uh, our plan was to do a little uh, shed hunting real quick, but as we were driving around, we actually found the some of the cows had gotten a gate open, and so since my brother was sick, I decided I better help him out and get the cows back in, so we spent the majority of the time that we were going to shed hunt, the little bit of time we were going to, we spent most of it getting the cows back in. So basically the whole Easter plan just got flipped upside down. Uh, one benefit of it, we did get to hang out with my wife's family more, which is really cool. Uh, her mom, who lives uh, in a different state, was in town because her brother, who's in the Marines, is about to deploy. And he got his time off, you know, pre-deployment time off. So he was there. So... Honestly, it kind of worked out better that we got to see her family that was, you know, in town that we don't get to see all the time. We kind of get to see my family a lot more. So, so overall, kind of worked out, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to do any of the outdoor activities that I was really hoping to. So, I hope all you guys out there listening maybe did uh, at least got to hang out with family and got to, uh, you know, listen to the the good word of uh, of God and Jesus getting to come down and die for our sins uh, for each and every one of us. So I hope you guys got to hear a message, uh, spend time spend time with family, and get outside this weekend. So other than Easter, pretty much a uneventful weekend. Uh, this weekend we, or I'm sorry, this week we have tons of family activities planned. Like I said, my wife's family are all in town and. Uh, her brother's birthday is soon, so we're going to celebrate her his birthday. Uh, her niece's birthday is also this week, so we're going to celebrate her niece's birthday. We're going to have uh, we're going to go out to dinner with like her immediate family, and then all of her extended family is hanging out this weekend, and so very action packed week uh, of family, which is nice. And again, like I said, her brother's about to deploy, and so it's good to spend that time with him, and and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but uh, as far as the outdoor activities, it's going to be pretty limited this weekend. Uh, I do think I'm going to take her brothers and grandpa fishing this Saturday out on the boat. So that'll be fun. Um, looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I am excited to just spend time with the family this week. And so it's going to be really fun. This week's episode, uh, we're going to do something a little different. I haven't done this yet. I've been wanting to do it. Um, you know, at the intro of my podcast, I talk about uh, educate, entertain, and equip. This podcast is going to be pretty much straight entertain. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of go back through my hunting history, and I'm going to pull out some either funny stories, cool story, you know, stories where I learned something, uh, and basically this whole podcast is just going to be one big storytelling event. And so I've actually been really excited about this one. I've been wanting to do it for a while. Um, it's been, kind of been in the back of my mind. And I figured this week, since I'm going to be uh, really busy this week, it was hard to schedule a guest. And so I thought this would be a great week to do it. And so personally, I am really excited about this. I hope you guys are too. Uh, I've been told I have a few good stories. And so I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. And uh, yeah, again, like I would, as I always say, I would love to hear back from you guys uh, on my social media pages. Uh, let me know if you guys are enjoying this. Let me know if there's any specific to specific topics you guys want me to cover. You know, we're kind of coming into, uh, well, first we're going to come into turkey season. And then after turkey season, we're going to kind of hit that summer dead zone of uh, just not a lot going on in the woods. And so looking for some topic, I get, uh, topic ideas if you guys have any. And I'd love to hear some of y'all's stories. I'd love to, I, I really want to start having some uh, some podcast listeners on as guests and you know hear you guys' stories and and what's going on in y'all's lives and so so that's the plan for today i hope you guys uh, got some popcorn nearby or something and hopefully you can just sit back relax and listen to these stories 
Story number one. This is the story of my first deer. So I think I mentioned on my uh, very first episode, my intro episode, that I didn't really grow up in a hunting family. Uh, my dad did some bird hunting. He used to fish a lot. Uh, kind of grew out of fishing as he got older, but um, nobody in my family deer hunted really at all. Uh, my brothers had gotten to go a few times with some uh, friends of theirs from school, uh, but I wasn't big enough. I wasn't old enough. And so I think that's what really got me into deer hunting was the fact that I never got to, you know, my brothers did and I didn't. And so, um, about the time I was in junior high, you know, I kept begging my dad to take me deer hunting and, uh, basically he would just like take me with him when he went to feed the cows in the morning and set me on a stump somewhere on a piece of property that we, I don't think we had ever seen a deer on this property. Um, and I think he just like, he didn't really know what to do. Didn't really know or have a place to take me. Um, but but for whatever reason, like I always wanted to go. And so when I was 14, he actually bought me my first uh, hunting stand. It's just like a little tripod stand. We bought it at Bass Pro Shop. And um, uh, he, his family, him and his brother, shared this little bitty piece of property that bordered a lake. And had I known what I know now, like it was actually a pretty good piece of property or had some potential at least. But, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, uh, anyway, one day in the middle of the summer when it's super hot, my two brothers and one of their friends kind of took me out there and we walked the property just a little bit, you know, didn't really know what we were looking for or anything. Uh, basically just kind of found an opening in the mesquite trees and set this tripod up. And so, you know, November rolls around or something and, and, uh, I'd wake up super early, uh, walk to the stand in the dark by myself with no flashlight. Cause I just, I didn't know, like. I, I, it never even entered my mind to bring a flashlight. I didn't have warm camo. I was usually wearing like blue jeans with long underwear underneath. And then a lot of times I'd be like in my ski coat. Like I think I had like a blue or a black ski coat. And that's what I'd wear because it was like the only warm coat I had. And I'd climb up into that tripod stand and just freeze. Like sometimes I would have gloves. Sometimes I wouldn't. I uh, usually didn't have a beanie. I'd just be like wearing a, a ball cap and just freeze well one of these super cold mornings i had my uh i was using my uh, my dad's 270 it was actually he didn't even buy it it was a, a rifle that he had been given as a present and uh i had it leaning up against the rail the shooting rail on the on the tripod and i was shivering so bad that the rifle actually fell off the stand and the scope hit the ladder and the back scope ring came off the rail and like kind of twisted and stuff and so still sat, I, I, I didn't drive. Like I just had to sit there until my dad came to pick me up. Um, you know, no cell phone, no nothing, just sitting out there. Um, and, uh, basically I was close enough to the road that when he would pull up, he would honk his horn and I could hear him and I'd walk out. So anyway, that ended my season that year when I was 14, cause the scope came off or whatever. Uh, took it home. My brother got some Allen wrenches and kind of bent it back and put it back on. But man, I, I was so green that like, I didn't even know you had to side a scope in. Like I'd never heard of that. I just, it has a scope. You, you know, point the crosshairs and you shoot. So a full year goes by. So I'm 15 now. And, uh, one of the youth leaders at church, he and I had kind of gotten real close and, uh, we enjoyed spending time together, and uh, he he was from Georgia actually, and he had done a little deer hunting, but not much. He he had never really gotten into it. Like you know, he had kind of gotten sat with his dad and stuff, um, so he didn't really know anything either. Um, but he was willing to take me, and so I was going to take it. 
And so it was youth weekend when I was 15 years old. So probably like the third weekend in October, something like that. And uh, we went back to that good old tripod, and it was just a one-seater, though. And so I he let me sit in the seat, and he actually sat, like, on the floor plate, like, with one leg hanging off. And we're both freezing. Neither one of us is prepared. We sit there for a while. Eventually, we get too cold, and uh, we couldn't take it anymore. So we went back to the truck. And uh, But it was still pretty early in the morning, and uh, he was like, hey, like, do y'all have any other place we could go around here? And I was like, yeah, my uncle has this place. Uh, it was on the other side of town, and I didn't know much about it. Again, I didn't really know what to look for, but if uh, this area wasn't known for deer, I should have said that too. Like, you know, most people, they just think of you're out in the country, you're going to see deer, but this was not one of those places. Um, but there was like, there was like rumors of deer that were on my uncle's place because it had a much bigger, like, uh, year round creek on it. And so we went over there and, uh, uh, I was I had my learner's permit. I was 15. He was making me drive just to practice driving. And we pull up, and he was just about to get out of the gate, and he was like, hey, there's a deer right there. And sure enough, there was this doe. Well, I, like, we hadn't made it inside the gate, so my gun's still in a case and everything. So I open the door, get out, open the back door, pull my gun case out, get my gun out, and <laughs> get a box of bullets, open that, put a bullet in the chamber, and then walk back and kind of, I'm using the bed of the truck as a gun rest. And the whole time this doe is standing there. And then when I get back there, I actually see there's a second doe. And I noticed that like one doe was taller than the other doe. And I'm sitting there and again, like I'm green. I don't know anything. And I think that this is like a mama and a baby deer. Uh, you know, I know now that like by that time the fawns are kind of grown. They can fend for themselves. But at this time I didn't know that. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm having this mental battle, like, can I shoot this mom? Can I shoot this baby? And I basically couldn't bring myself to do it. So I walked back up to the front of the truck, and he's like, you know, what's going on? And I was like, man, I just, I, I can't bring myself to shoot that mama deer. Well, right about then, we look up, and the deer finally spook and run off. And what was actually going on was there was a pond dam, and basically just one deer was up on the pond dam, and one deer wasn't. It was two full-grown does. So then I'm like, oh, no, like, I could have shot one. And uh, and I also was like, it, I think part of it was like I was disappointed that they weren't bucks. Like, I didn't, I just, I don't know, like, I, I thought you could only shoot bucks. Like, I was like, oh, all the cool guys are shooting these big bucks. And so, anyway, but I was like, man, like, that's a deer. I'm going to kill it. I'm ready. And so... Uh, I grabbed two more bullets, and so I have one in the chamber, and I put two more in the in the gun, in the clip. And uh, the guy with who was driving me, his name was Nathan. He was like, "You don't want more bullets than that?" And I'm like, "Dude, you only need one. Like, you know, I'm gonna hit it obviously on the first shot." And so, luckily, and this will come into play later, he grabbed a few more bullets and stuffed it in his pocket. And so we just leave the truck where it's at. We take off walking in the direction they had run. And uh, there was a fence line, and there was wide open field to our left, brush to our right, and so we're kind of we're walking along this fence line, and out of nowhere, he's like buck, and sure enough, there's this you know one maybe two year old buck, probably one little bitty buck that's going from one patch of timber to the other, and by this point, I mean we're talking it's like it's probably nine thirty in the morning, like getting later in the day. Um, but anyway, there's this little buck like out in the middle of nowhere and like could not have been more perfect. And so I find a tree and I kind of use the tree as a rest. I'm pinching the gun up against it and, uh, I pick my spot right behind the shoulder where I, you know, 
heard on TV you're supposed to aim. Pull the trigger, nothing. And I look up, and the deer is still just standing there. It's looking at me now because it heard the shot, and it's just staring at me. And uh, I think I was using a bolt-action rifle. So work the bolt and uh, look through the scope. Second shot, nothing. Deer still just standing there. Rack it around. Third shot, boom. And I'm like super confident. Like I'm taking my time. I'm like, all right, you know, I got I to gotta concentrate on the shot. Third shot, nothing. Deer still just standing there. I'm like, hey, Nathan, like I'm out of bullets. And he's like, don't worry. He's like, here you go. And he hands me a bullet out of his pocket. And so he's like, let's see if we can get closer. And so we walk up to a different tree, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 yards closer. The whole time, this deer is still standing there, just looking at us. Hasn't taken a step out in the wide open. Like, like this deer was sent from God for me. And so, so we're closer now. Put in my fourth round, close it, take my time, we're closer, pull the trigger, nothing. Deer doesn't fall, doesn't take steps, still just standing there. And I look at Nathan, and I was like, okay, something has to be wrong with this gun. Like, I'm not that bad of it. Like, I'm a good shot. Something's wrong. And so he literally, he literally looked at me and said, shoot around him. <laughs> and so, so real quick, you know, in the moment, in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a grid. And so I put a fifth bullet in the chamber, and uh, I decided I'm going to start my grid and uh, I, I can't bring myself to aim off of his body. And so I kind of, I basically aim at his belly, like very bottom of his body, center mass. I was like, you know, if anything, I think the gun might be high. Maybe I'm shooting over him. So I'm just going to kind of aim center mass. So I aim like at, almost at the white of his belly in the very center of his body. Fifth shot, pull the trigger, boom, deer goes down, just, just drops in its tracks. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, oh, I'm so excited. I'm hugging Nathan, freaking out. And, uh, you know, didn't, obviously didn't have to track or anything. The deer was just dead. Walk up there and there's a big old hole in the deer's neck. And I'm like, what on earth is wrong? Uh, but I, I, I didn't even care. I, I got my first deer. I was so excited. And, uh, so anyway, I, you know, we, we take, Nathan did know how to gut a deer. Luckily he had learned that from his dad. I had no idea. I like, it was one of those things, like all of a sudden I just had this dead deer in front of me and I was like, well now what? Like I, I had never seen, I'd never even seen one gutted. Like all I, I knew you took one to uh, the processor. And so I just assumed like they did it. But, uh, so anyway, Nathan gutted it for me and kind of somewhat taught me how. We take it home, and I'm, you know, I'm super. This thing's like I have it on the wall here. It's a, it was an eight point, but it had one broken off, so it was a little bitty seven point. I'm talking like maybe fifteen to twenty inch buck, uh, probably a one and a half year old. But I was so proud of it, you know, first deer, and it was a buck. Like I was very excited that it was a buck, even though it was small. And anyway, I start telling people this story, and I, you know, I'm not leaving out details. I'm like, yeah, it took me five shots, and they're like, five shots, I'm like, yeah. And so that is when I, th I believe it was one of my uncles was like, well, was the gun sighted in? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that's, that's when I learned at 15 years old that you had to sight a rifle in. And so me and same guy, about a week later, uh, we went out to our land and set a target up and, and, uh, you know, I always heard you sight a rifle in at a hundred yards, or I wouldn't say always, I recently learned that you sight a rifle in at a hundred yards. And so we're back at a hundred and I think we had a target that was on the back of a feed sack or something, you know, pretty big target. And I shoot, don't even hit the paper. Uh, shoot again, don't hit the paper. And uh, and so I'm getting ready to take my third shot. And Nathan's like, hey, like, you know, where'd you aim on that deer? 
And I was like, oh, well, like I aimed, you know, down to the left. And so he's like, all right, we'll try that. So I aim at the corner of the paper, don't, nothing still. And so I shoot, I try a couple other times. Like I basically start making a grid, shooting, nothing, nothing. And he's like, didn't you say you aimed low and left? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, try that and just try it farther. So I was like, all right. So I aimed like completely off the paper and finally hit the top right corner. <laughs> and uh, we discovered through this process that the gun was over two feet off. So my very first deer harvest, I, I somehow killed it with a gun that was two feet off. And uh, But hey, I still have that buck here. Super proud of it. I think it's one of the greatest first deer stories of all time like like what deer stands there for five shots and then just gets dropped in his tracks so so yeah story number one my first deer all right story number two story number two is kind of two stories so we'll call this two and three uh these stories are going to be about my first time uh hunting elk with a rifle and then my first time hunting elk with a bow so so as I've mentioned before, I chose to go to college at the University of Idaho. The main reason I went there was because I wanted to hunt, and Idaho seemed like the best uh, opportunity for you know some kid to go up and, and hunt elk and mule deer and bear and all that good stuff. And so, so I went up there. Uh, I graduated from high school in 2008, so I got to Idaho in the fall of 2008. But I didn't have enough money to afford an out-of-state license, and so I actually wasn't able to, to hunt my freshman year. Uh, but after my freshman year, I stayed in Idaho that summer and worked and uh, basically went through the process to become an Idaho resident. And so from my sophomore year on, I got to pay in-state tuition. That was the main reason I did it. And then an added benefit was I then got to hunt as a resident. And so I went from... I think my freshman year, if I would have paid out-of-state prices for an elk tag, I would have been paying license and tag combined somewhere in like the $700 range, uh, which obviously is a poor college student I could not afford. Um, but then my sophomore year coming in, I was then a resident, and I want to say their like sportsman's combo at that time for resident was like $87, something like that. And that combo package got me an elk tag, a deer tag, a bear tag, a mountain lion tag, and a turkey tag. Um, I think they have since added wolf tag to that. I don't know. It might still be separate. But anyway, like, you want to talk about a heck of a bargain. You know, I, I was on top of the world. So so going into my sophomore year, is going to be my first time ever elk hunting. And so I was going to rifle hunt. And uh, a buddy of mine that I had met, uh, Jasper, who was on the show a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of became buddies through my freshman year. And and so my sophomore year, I was telling him, and I had uh, uh, been a wildland firefighter that summer, like way out in the backcountry of Idaho. And I met all these guys who were super experienced elk hunters, and you know they they fire fought, but then they would always save their vacation time for October or September, you know, depending on whether they were a bow hunter or a rifle hunter. And I mean, these guys were hardcore because they were used to they were used to being out in the wild anyway from firefighting. So they'd basically just take their same gear. And I mean, some of these guys would just like pack up some MREs and a tarp and just take off and wouldn't come back until they killed an elk. And so I would, you know, try to not you know discreetly listen in on their conversations and try to pick up you know roads and national forest stuff that they talk about and then just you know from driving around i got pretty familiar with the area myself and so uh there was this one road that they all talked about 
that they'd had some luck at. And so my, I, t- I kept telling my buddy about it. And so he, he normally elk hunted with his family, but he, he was like, man, this sounds awesome. He's like, I'll buy a tag in that same area. So, so opening day, uh, this would have been 2009, I think. Um, at sunrise, we were two and a half miles from the truck. We'd followed this, uh, it was an old logging road. Now the forest service maintained it for, you know, fires and stuff. And so we, Got up, we slept in the truck the night before, got up stupid early, and like I said, we were two and a half miles back before the sun came up. So the sun starts coming up, and elk season opened October 10th. And so it's kind of, it's kind of past, you know, the main rut, but you still hear some bugles. And so the sun's coming up, and we're sitting where this meadow is, and, uh, and we're kind of slowly creeping along because we, you know, we didn't have a, a setup in mind, so we're just kind of slowly still walking. And we actually bust a herd of elk. And, you know, we can't see yet, but we hear them. And so, uh, so we're trying to decide whether we're going to stay there or if we should go after them. And then all of a sudden, we start hearing bugles. And basically, you know, I'm pretty sure we'd probably bumped into a, a herd with a bull and his cows and stuff, and we busted them up. So we start hearing these bugles a little higher up on the mountain, and we're like, man, like we got to go to him. And so. So we start headed up and, you know, it's kind of getting light enough to where we can see and he's still bugling up on top. So we're just, you know, we're not calling or anything. We're just following the bugles and we're getting closer and closer. And, uh, and all of a sudden we kind of get to like a little rise, like a ridge, you know, finger ridge, but a a small one. And, uh, we're just kind of getting to where we can see over the edge and he lets out a bugle and we can tell, like, he is just over the next finger, like, probably within 200 yards. You know, if it if it wouldn't been for that next little finger, we could have seen him and shot him. He was that close. And so we kind of look at each other, and, you know, we don't even have to really say it. We know, like, if we get to that next finger, we're going to have a shot. And so we come over the top, and all of a sudden we both freeze. And we look down, and there in the draw is the tiniest little white-tailed doe you can imagine. Like, like super tiny. And uh, we both freeze, but, you know, she was on to us. Well, this doe turns around, and she goes blowing and snorting and everything over this next ridge. And, uh, and so we kind of start, you know, walking, still trying to be quiet, but, you know, trying to hurry. And then all of a sudden we hear another bugle, and he's like, way further away (laughs) so we go then running up over the ridge and uh we don't you know we don't pop over the top we kind of get to where we peek over and we see a butt of an elk's butt like disappearing into the timber and so i i had a bugle tube with me so i dig it out of my pack real quick and bugle of course neither one of us know anything about calling um he grew up there he knew a little bit more than i did but he had never bow hunted which is you know when most of the calling takes place so I let go of bugle and uh he actually bugled back, but I mean he was just hightailing and we we took off chasing, we chased and chased, but never caught up to him. We still curse that doe to this day, and uh, I think that doe cursed me because to this day I've still not killed an elk. I have I've had a lot of close uh calls, but I've still never killed one. Uh but the main reason I wanted to tell you that story was to tell you my next story because this is the good one. So like I said, that was 2009, and I rifle hunted that year, and uh, just started talking to people, and everybody's like, "Man, like if you if you know how to shoot a bow, 
archery seasons when you need to go because the bulls are bugling and you can call to them and all this and that. And so I start talking to people about that and, and doing research. And again, you know, this is before podcast and, uh, I guess YouTube had been, invent- yeah, YouTube was around, but there wasn't like a ton of content. And, uh, so I was kind of stuck reading magazines, um, you know, some forums, but and and like I talked about before, like the whole public land thing was just so foreign to me. Like I, I just I could not bring myself to park my truck and just start walking somewhere because I you know had grown up in hunting Texas and Oklahoma where everything is private and you do not get on somebody else's property. And so like I would basically only hunt areas where somebody else had taken me and told me like it's okay you can hunt here. So. So anyway, 2000, I guess 10 rolls around and I decided I'm going to try to archery hunt. And so again, like basically zero elk hunting experience. Uh, you know, I did one year with rifle. Now I'm switching to bow. I don't know why, like I decided to make it way harder on myself, but I guess I thought, you know, because I could call it'd be easier. And so, so I'm out there, uh, I guess I'm 20 years old at this point. Uh, I have a bow that maxed out at like 60 pounds. I want to say I was shooting 55 pounds. I couldn't shoot more than like 30 yards. Like like a 30-yard shot was pushing my limit. And I'm out there by myself in September hunting elk. Um, and, you know, I, I was back to that same spot. And I was like, all right, you know, this bull was here. Um, and, you know, I didn't know if he'd still be there. I didn't know if it was a different bull or whatever, but I was like, this is my spot. Like, I, I got close here, so this is where I'm hunting. So my, September rolls around, my first time archery elk hunting, and uh, I go back to that same spot. And, I like, I didn't stop on the road. Like, I even went up to where we had heard that bull bugling and, like, the doe had, you know, scared or spooked or whatever. And so I'm sitting in that spot, and I have this super cheap little bugle tube that I'd bought somewhere in Wyoming on my drive up to Idaho. Um, I had a uh, Hoochie Mama cow call, Primo's Hoochie Mama, like the push-button call. Um, And that's what I was there. Like I said, small bow, cheap calls, no idea how to use them, but I'm there. So sun comes up, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I start hitting that Hoochie Mama. And right away, a bull answers. And I'm like, okay, like, is this this easy? And so um, I had a I had a video camera with me. I, like, started recording on the camera and set it on a stump. And so I'm kind of working that hoochie mama, and I hear him bugle again, and he's closer. And uh, But I'd set up, like, in a big clearing because, you know, in my mind, like, hunting in Texas and Oklahoma, like, you know, you always wanted a big clearing in front of you so you could shoot, you know, not thinking about I had this bow that would only shoot, you know, 20 or 30 yards. But, uh, but you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, well, I'll just call to them and they'll, you know, come straight to me. So not a problem. And so I'm calling, probably calling way too much. And I hear this, you know, this bull's coming closer and he's bugling. So I'm like, well, obviously I have to bugle. He's bugling. So I pull up this super cheap bugle tube, throw a bugle out. And like right away, he answers back. And, uh, and at this point I can actually hear him walking around. He was in a, there was a clear cut, like an old clear cut. It was probably 10 years old. So it's like super thick pines, you know, you can't see through it at all. But again, I'm probably 
probably 60, 75 yards um, inside this burnt area where it's just completely wide open in front of me other than, you know, some big trees that didn't burn. And I'm calling, I'm calling, probably over calling, and I can hear this bull like pacing back and forth just inside these pines. And uh, eventually, you know, he, he didn't come out into the opening, obviously, so I never got a look at him. And uh, eventually he just kind of worked off, you know, he obviously knew something was up because I didn't know what I was doing. And so that was a Saturday, mo- that was Saturday morning. So Sunday morning, I only got to hunt the weekends because I was in school. So Sunday morning, I was like, all right, well, like he was, you know, 200 yards closer. I was like, I'm just going to go 200 yards more in. And so I go back to essentially the same spot. Uh, I walk through those super thick pines and I come to a fire line. It was like a probably a 40 yard wide opening where they had clear cut uh, a fire break. And uh, me, once again, not knowing what I was doing, I set up at the top side of that fire break. If anybody is listening and uh, you're going to go elk hunting for the first time, make sure you set up on the same side of the fire break as you think the elk is going to come <laughs> come from. In this case, I, I kind of knew he was going to come uh, from down below me. Like I was pretty sure I was, cause I was very close to the top of the mountain, but in my mind, like I needed that big wide open gap in front of me because I was afraid he'd come in. And I wouldn't have a shot, you know, he'd be behind a tree or something. So I had this again, like this big, you know, it was 40 yards to the closest trees and then it kind of got thick again. So, so anyway, so I get there and I kind of, I set my camera down and I take my pack off and kind of get comfortable and I just randomly throw out a bugle and, you know, five to 10 seconds go by about, about the time where I like relax, like, okay, nothing. And boom, another bugle down below me, like right where I was hoping, right where I thought he would be. And so I'm like, well, stink, like this might happen. <laughs> and so, uh, so I kind of, I, there's like a stump there that I'd set all my stuff on. So I throw, take my bag off the stump, throw it down next to it. Uh, I kind of turn the camera forward and I'm hunkering down, and uh, and I look up, and I'm like, all right, another bugle. So I bugle, and like right there, I hear a return, and I look, and I see the bull now. Um, and I, I didn't learn this till later, but like I said, I turned my camera downhill. That bull was actually walking straight up, like sh- like perfect middle of the frame, straight into my camera after that first bugle. I like. He probably heard me setting up before I even called. He was that close to me when I first called. And so this bull's like coming in hot. And I I don't think I'd even taken my cow call out of my pack. And so this bull's coming up and I, I see him and like, this is a nice bull. This is a 300 inch plus six by six. Like I can tell, I, don't, I didn't even have binoculars with me. I could see him that well. And so I, like, I didn't know that my camera was actually pretty much on him uh but he was you know he was probably 80 yards at this point so i zoom in a little bit with my camera set it back on the stump and uh and i let out another bugle and he bugles and then he walks uh to his right to my left and once again pure luck i have a shot of this bull walking right through my camera it's like zoomed in and everything just a the beautiful shot. That's how I know how big he was and points and everything like that. Cause I had the camera zoomed in on him again. I, I wasn't even looking at the camera. I didn't have like the viewfinder was open, but I wasn't looking at it. I was just concentrated on this bull. And, uh, so now he's at about 60 yards 
and I have no idea what to do. I like I have my release, I have an arrow on, I'm holding my bow, and I'm like, why is he not coming closer? Like he should just like you know on TV, like they just walk straight up to you and you shoot him. So again, like knowing what I know now, like I I could have easily killed this bull. You know, I should have been on the other side of the clear cut. Should have had my cow calls out. Um, I could have even like poured a water, you know, I've heard this trick later. Like you could pour a water bottle out to make it sound like the bull's peeing. Like I know all these tips now, but at the time I'm just sitting there and like, and I'm also, I'm behind a stump. Like it's not in a full tree because again, I was like, Oh, I can just, I, I can shoot over the top of the stump. If I, there was a tree, the tree might be in the way. And, uh, so I'm just staring at this giant elk at 60 yards I know he's too far to shoot, and I'm like, well, he's not coming in. The only thing I can do is bugle again. So I, like, make this huge swinging bugle motion behind this stump. And uh, basically, you know, long story short, he knew I wasn't an elk. And so he turns, and I watch him start working his way back down the mountain. I'm just, like, I just start, like, bugling nonstop. I'm like, like, just in hopes that he's going to suddenly turn around and come back. And long story short, got caught with my pants down, and I had to watch this beautiful, beautiful elk just slowly walk back down the mountain out of sight, and I went home empty-handed again from the same exact spot. Alright, story number four. We got another first. This is the story about my first time antelope hunting. And so I've, I think I've mentioned him on the podcast before, an old high school buddy of mine, uh, his grandparents own a bunch of land out in New Mexico. Uh, it's where we tried to go mule deer hunting last year, two years, two years ago. Um, mule deer hunting didn't work out so well. Uh, but before that we had gone out there to go antelope hunting and it worked out much better. Um, and so basically through his, uh, grandparents, we were able to get landowner tags. So we didn't have to do the, the draw or anything like that. And uh, his parents or grandparents uh, control about 7,000 acres. Um, and so it was like uh, me and him have, had gone to school together since we were in fourth grade. And so this is literally a hunt we had talked about doing since we were in elementary school. And we did it about five years ago. So we had both, well, he was still in, in school. He's a, a doctor now, so he was still in medical school, much smarter than I am. Um, but anyway, he, his, uh, class load. He had a light load this semester. I had already graduated and we decided we were going to go out there to New Mexico and go antelope hunting. And so again, I feel like this is a (laughs) theme of my life. We go out there, neither of us having any experience. Uh, I had barely even seen an antelope. Uh, he had been out there and seen them, but never got a chance to hunt them. And so the way New Mexico works is you get your hunt area and uh it's really weird so like his grandparents a lot of their land is actually not deeded acres it's uh for service leases and so because of that other people can also hunt that and basically the way new mexico does it is like you get your hunt area and that's basically given to you by the state and then the season is like a month long but your tag is only valid for three days And so you basically pick whatever three-day period within that month-long season you want to hunt, and those are the only three days you can hunt. And so uh, my hope, which, you know, I had a much easier schedule than he did, uh, my hope was to, like, get there a day before the season opened and, you know, shoot our guns and, and glass and, you know, do all this scouting and stuff like that. But the way it worked out with his schedule 
is we actually didn't even get to hunt opening day. Uh, and that was something his uncle kind of told us. He was like, you want to be here opening day because again, all these other people get to hunt the ranch. And, uh, and so we, you wanted to be out there cause it's going to get this pressure, but that's just not how the cookie crumbled. Um, and so, so we got there like super late at night and then our first day hunting was actually the second day of the season. So these antelope had already been chased around a whole lot on opening day. And uh, we weren't even really sure, like, the property boundaries. Like, you know, my buddy had been out there a lot uh, growing up, but he had never hunted it. This is actually his first time hunting it in any way, shape, or form uh, because, you know, he didn't grow up around there and it was expensive and all that good stuff. So anyway... So basically our entire first day, we just drove around with his uncle. He was showing us the property. Um, I mean, we were definitely glassing for antelope and we saw some, but they were always a long way off. Um, <laughs> half the times while we were watching them and trying to figure out if we could make a play, somebody else would drive up and spook them off. And so that was basically day one. And so day one, I wouldn't say it was a wash, but you know, just, we didn't get to do a lot of hunting day one. So Day two, his uncle had to go back to work. Um, we had seen the whole property, and so day two was really our first day to, like, really hunt, hunt. So we woke up early and kind of got to this big plateau. We Neither one of us had a spotting scope. I had some, like, decent Vortex binoculars. Uh, he actually got to borrow his uncle's super nice pair of uh, Swarovski binoculars. And so we kind of spread out across this plateau, uh, and we're glassing. And uh, we see this little group of antelope uh, down. I mean, it's kind of crazy the way it's set up. Like, basically, they're, all their pastures are 160 acres, a section, uh, or a quarter section. And so, like, you can see the fences. And so, like, you can judge distance very accurately because you just count the number of fences, you know, and you know that each one is a quarter mile. And so we see these antelope, uh, and they're about um, or right at a mile away. And uh, we can't even really tell if there's a buck with them, uh, but, you know, it's our first day. We're all excited. We're gun ho We're like, all right, we're going to put a spot on, or a stock on these antelope. And so, but we're so far away, we're like, oh, like, you know, we're not even really being careful. Like, we're standing up on the plateau. And so we walk down, we go to kind of cross over our first high spot. And, you know, again, like we're a mile away, so we just kind of walk over it. And uh, we're kind of keep trying to keep tabs on them. So we look over and all of a sudden we notice that they're running. And we're like, what on earth? And so we pull up our binoculars and they're just kind of trotting. And sure enough, they stop and they look, I mean, directly at us. And then turn and just hightail it away. And we're like, are you kidding me? Like, like we had heard that, you know, like we obviously knew that antelope, like sight was everything. You know, they really use their eyes and, and we were aware of that, but like, we got schooled on just how well their eyes or how good their eyes are. It is insane guys. If you've never hunted an antelope, you need to, cause it is, it is like a whole different world from deer. Like it is amazing how good their eyes are. And so we got a big lesson that second morning. And so, uh, we, you know, fooled around that morning, drove around, walked around, didn't have any luck. Um, and then the second evening, we were actually like, we weren't even really hunting yet. We were actually just kind of getting ready to go out and we spotted some antelope on, uh, it was like the only section of property they had on the other side of this highway. And I want to say it was like 400 acres or something. Um, and we spot some antelope out there and they were still bedded down. It was pretty early. Like we were just going out for the evening hunt. 
And uh, the way they were bedded, they were basically bedded between two terraces out in this field. And it was like the only kind of green field. It, it wasn't alfalfa or anything, but it was like the only kind of greenish stuff out there. And so we're kind of looking at the map and looking around. We're like, man, like we can drive over to this road and then crawl through this field. And, uh, you know, they'll still be laying in the terrace when we get there. And so we drive around, and and uh, one of the roads we drove by actually took us fairly close to them. Like, it was one of those things, if we stopped and got out of the truck, you know, they'd run away. But they were probably only, like, 200 yards off the road. And so we confirmed that they were there, basically drove around. And, uh, well, when we got to where we were going to park, it wasn't near as low as we thought. And so, like, we couldn't quite see them. Uh, but like we had to stay low. So we end up, and again, like, you know, we know these distance cause of the fences, we end up crawling on our belly for an entire quarter mile. Uh, he actually had a pair of knee pads and he didn't want to wear them cause he thought they were bulky. So he gave them to me and that like, that saved me. Cause this is not like lush ground. You're talking about basically crawling through the desert. And so luckily he gave me those knee pads and I had a pair of work gloves and he had some gloves and we were both wearing long pants, but we literally belly crawled for an entire quarter mile. And so we, we finally make it to this fence line and, uh, and we could kind of, we could see to the left and right. And so we were pretty confident they were still there. We crawl under the bottom wire of the fence and, uh, we crawl up to the top of the hill and they're not there. And we're like, what on earth? Like, we know that they were here. And we're so we're looking around, we pull out our binoculars, and we look to our left, and we see them. And somehow when we were crawling and had our heads down, and we thought that we could see any escape route, they had slipped by us, and they were like ugh, probably a good half mile to our left. They still didn't know we were there, but they were obviously too far to shoot. And there was just absolutely no way that we were going to stock up on them out there in that wide open field. And so, so basically we had done all that crawling for nothing. And so we were unsuccessful again, day two. And I had mentioned that, you know, your license is good for three days and we'd come a day late. Well, we didn't know it, but that actually worked into our favor big time because everybody, everybody else that was hunting that property basically accomplished what we wanted to of, you know, getting out there early and hunting opening day. But what that meant is Everybody left because our second day was their third day. And so on our third day, we had the entire place to ourselves, which was really nice. And so we woke up early and, and we had kind of learned that like driving in the truck was beneficial because you could cover ground and glass. And so we're driving around and, and eventually we spot some antelope out in this field. And so we watch them for a little while and, and his uncle had kind of given us the tip of like, you know, maybe you want to wait until they bed down. And so we're watching these antelope and gosh, they're probably a mile and a half away from where we're sitting watching them. Eventually they bed down and, and we thought we had the perfect plan and we kind of did. So like basically we could drop down and there was just the tiniest little drainage. And then it actually led to an empty, it was an empty pond, but like basically they tried to dig a pond at this drainage and then the antelope were bedded below that dam and so basically we could stay in that creek and kind of stay low and go all the way and then our plan was to climb up on this tank dam and they'd probably be somewhere you know in a hundred yard range so that was our plan it was looked perfect so we climbed down and again they're like a mile and a half away so we're we're not having to like crawl but we're kind of hunkered down you know hunched down 
and uh, we work our way. We close about a mile, and we get into that last half mile, and it kind of starts getting more flat, and so now we're really hunkering down. And finally, we make it all the way to the pond dam. And so we knew we were probably, you know, somewhere within 200 yards. And uh, my buddy decides that he'll, you know, he'll climb up and he had the nicer binoculars. And basically he was going to climb up and find them, you know, spot them. And then he'd motion, you know, if, if we needed to, he'd motion me to come up. Or we'd figure out if we need to keep stalking or whatever the plan was. So, so we're sitting there and he, you know, belly crawls up the dam. And he's looking around, and I'm, and I'm kind of watching him, and I see him scanning, and then all of a sudden I see him stop scanning, and and I can tell, you know, he's playing with the uh, with the zoom on the binoculars, and he's obviously looking at him, and uh, and then he kind of starts scanning again, and and he scans to the left, and he kind of he stops again, and uh, and I'm like, man, what's what's like? There's nothing over there, I don't think, and I'm, but then I kind of start getting excited. I'm like, maybe maybe he sees a second group of antelope or something. And then all of a sudden he starts like waving his arm and I can't figure out if he's waving at me or what's going on. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I like hear something and finally my buddy just stands up and just terrible luck. Uh, his grandparents ranch hand was out there making rounds, checking fences and stuff. And, you know, obviously, you know, he couldn't see us. We were down and drove right by these antelope and spooked them and chased them off. And man, it just crushed us. Like we thought this was it. We were in position. We had made our stock and like just, just by habit, this guy just happened to drive by and spook them off. And so they go running off and we see that there's at least one shooter buck in there. And by shooter, I mean legal. Like, we, you know, we did not have high expectations. We were just out there to have a good time and, and come back with something. And so, so you know, I stand up, and we see him running, and I'm glassing. We see that there's one good, uh, one good antelope in there. And they go, you know, down the other side, and we're like, hey, like, you know, probably small chance of success, but we might as well, like, we're this far. We might as well go up there to that hill and see if we can see him. And so we walk over there about a half mile and, uh, and we get to the top and we, you know, we slow down we're kind of slowly creeping over the top. And, um, uh, and then all of a sudden we see antelope looking at us <laughs> and just, I mean, like they were just there and they had basically ran over that hill and then up on top of the next hill and stopped on top of the hill. And they actually like, I, I guess this is something antelope do. They had stopped and turned around and they were basically like, watching to see if anything was following them and so uh, we had no hope of, of sneaking up on them and, and uh, once we saw them uh, my buddy you know kind of tried to quickly pull his gun up but they were just they were gone and we watched them run over the next hill and so we were like man this is obviously not going to work like we can't just chase these things down they're meant for this we're not again we're like two miles from the truck now because we'd done our initial stock and then followed them further and so by this time, I want to say it was probably like 1030 in the morning, like it was getting late, getting hot. And so uh, we decided that our, our best plan of action was to go back, get some lunch, let these antelope calm down. And because uh, they were kind of running more towards the center of the property, they weren't going to run off of it. So we did that. We went back, took a quick nap, got some lunch. And uh, basically on the other side, there was this really big plateau and like you can almost see the entire ranch from this plateau and so our our plan that evening was to drive around get on top of that plateau and glass and we knew we'd be able to spot them and then from there you know we could go around and and make a stock on them somewhere so so we 
get done with lunch and nap and everything and go out pretty early in the afternoon. You know, it's our, it's our last afternoon. So we, we, we wanted to do plenty of hunting. And so we work our way to the plateau and we start getting close to the edge. You know, we slow down and, and, uh, we, we can see, you know, majority of the property, uh, except for just what's right underneath us. And so we're getting close to the edge. And again, my buddy's like, Hey, why don't you stay here? And I'll kind of go peek over the edge. And I'm like, okay. And so he gets closer and he's kind of slowly stepping forward, slowly stepping forward. And all of a sudden he drops. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh, do you see something? And he's like, they're right there. And I was like, what do you mean right there? And he, like, they were bedded like at basically at the base of the plateau. And so like we went from just hopefully being able to see them somewhere out the landscape to like, we're in the game. And so he kind of motioned me forward. So I belly crawl up there and look and, and I had a rangefinder, and I clicked the rangefinder, and they're at like 270, and uh, and we're not quite to the edge, but we're pretty close to it, and but we're also like really really high up. You know, this is probably like a at least a hundred, if not a 200 foot plateau we're talking, and so they're you know 270 yards away, but they're also like a hundred feet below us, and uh, you know this is my buddy's place, it's his parents' land or his family's land, whatever. And so, like, obviously, I'm like, you're going to take the first shot. Like, I'm just hoping he gets one so that I can, you know, shoot one after him. And uh, he's like, man, I want you to do it. And I was like, no, like, this is not my property. Like, I want you to get an antelope. I want you to take it. And he basically, he was like, man, like, I don't get to shoot often. Like, I'm not comfortable taking this shot. And so I was like, well, what if I give you my gun? Like, like I even offered him my gun and, like, I was going to coach him through it. And he's like, no. He's like, we've worked so hard. He's like, I just want one of us to get one, and I want you to take it. And so I was like, all right. You know, if you, uh, I like, I really wanted him to get it, but he was adamant that I'd take the shot. So, so I belly crawl a little further up to the edge, range again. I, I think I ranged it at 254. Um, well, these dang antelope guys, like their eyesight is so good that like, and I wasn't even like at the edge, like I was still back off the edge, but just like, if you can see them, they can see you. I guess that's the point of this story. And so I start getting set up and these antelope, they all stand up because they see me, which is probably good. Cause I was not sure I wanted to take a, a shot at a bedded antelope. Uh, so they stand up, but they're not running. And I take a deep breath, squeeze the trigger, and that antelope just humps immediately. And he kind of starts running off. He runs kind of like in a big half circle. Uh, so I reload, and like I, I was very confident in my shot. And just watching him, I was like, this thing's dead. But we had worked so hard, I wasn't about to let him get away. And so I, uh, he was actually, I think he was facing me uh, on the second shot. And shoot again, and he goes down. And so got my first antelope pumped it was just it was it was an amazing store because we had to work so hard and it came down to the last afternoon but what made this story even better is that we we go down we get to my antelope and uh we you know take some pictures and stuff and i look at the clock and there was still like two hours of daylight left and so i was like hey man like help me load this thing up we'll go back to the house and then i'll let you take the truck we'd taken my truck out there i was like i'll let you take the truck and you go hunt the last two hours of light. And so he got super excited then. He's like, okay. And so we go back to the house and uh, we hang the antelope up in the barn and and I'm skinning away. And probably about a half hour later, uh, his grandpa was out there talking to me. We hear a shot 
And sure enough, he had got super lucky, spotted an antelope from the road. Uh, it went down into a dip. He ran out there and got a shot. And he actually shot a much bigger antelope than mine. Like, like mine was legal. You know, it was decent. But, like, he shot a good antelope. So, after all that, it worked out better because I got the first one, but he got the bigger one. And so, super awesome trip. Super fun trip. And we came, two rookies came home with two antelope. So, yeah. Story number four is uh, my first antelope. All right. I think we got time for one more quick one. And so, keeping with the uh, the whole first trend, I just realized I've done my first first whitetail, first elk, and uh, first antelope. So, keeping on that trend, this is the story of my first duck. And I want to say I was like 11. It was a long time ago. Um, I, my oldest brother, I think, had just gotten his driver's license. He was 16. Uh, so, I guess that would make me 11 or 12, somewhere in there. And, uh, anyway, uh, it was like a Saturday, nothing going on. And, uh, my dad had to go and feed the cows. And so he said, uh, if me and my brothers, uh, wanted to come that, uh, we could just, it wasn't like a real duck hunt. Like we would just go and jump ponds. Like we had a bunch of farm ponds. And so we'd just sneak over the dam and jump shoot them. And, uh, one of my, uh, brother's buddies happened to be over. So there was actually four of us. And so we rode up there with my dad or rode out to the, to the ranch that we had at the time. We no longer have it, but rode out there and he had an old farm truck. And, uh, and so, uh, he took the farm truck, uh, to feed and my brothers and I just went around and started jumping ponds. And so our property had, uh, I want to say like five ponds. And so we'd drive, you know, we'd park a ways away and sneak up there and pop over and, um, and we weren't having any luck. Um, and then my, but my grandpa actually had another little piece of property that touched ours. And so we could just, we didn't even have to go out on the road. Like there was a gate, we could just drive through the gate and there was two ponds on it. So jump the first one, nothing get out there. We have, we're at the last pond. And, and by this time, I mean, you know, this is like pond number seven or something. And so we're, we're kind of getting tired. We're getting worn out. We're going, we're a little bit less prepared cause we aren't having any luck. And so we get to our last pond, jump over it, and sure enough, nothing. And so we're kind of standing there for a second, and it's it's getting late at this point. And, uh, well, this property was just north of a lake, uh, a big lake in our area. And the whole northern section of this lake was a waterfowl sanctuary. And so basically the lake ended, and then... There was the core land, and then in some cases we had land like right next to the core land, um, but most of our land was within you know a couple miles of that core land, and so we didn't know it at the time, but we kind of learned later. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of duck hunting through high school and stuff once we kind of figured this out. But there was that duck sanctuary where the all the ducks would roost, and then during the day they would all fly out and go to all these little farm ponds and that's where they'd feed and hang out during the day. And then at night they'd all, you know, flood back to the, to the sanctuary. And, uh, I don't remember what time of year it was, but it was probably like December, something like that. So anyway, we jump over this last dam, nothing. We're kind of standing there feeling defeated, but it's getting late. And then all of a sudden my brother is like ducks. And so we all kind of get down and uh, we're all hiding like on the water side of the dam, and uh, and these ducks are flying over. And you know they're they're pretty high, but they're ducks. And again, like we're not really prepared to hunt. Like we might have been wearing camo shirts, but we're all in jeans and boots and uh, you know just random hats. Like 
because again, we weren't really hunting. We were just jumping ponds. And so, so we're laying, you know, we're all pressed up against the pond dam, just, you know, thinking these ducks for no reason whatsoever are going to come and land right in front of us. And, uh, and they, you know, kind of get out of sight and, uh, we kind of, but we're still hiding and we look and we see more. And basically what was happening was it was getting late enough in the day that all these ducks were headed back to the waterfowl sanctuary. And so we're sitting there and we just keep seeing like more and more and more. And I'm talking hundreds, if not thousands of ducks flying over us. And, but you know, they're, they're obviously not going to come laying there, but we're obviously just, we're sitting there and we're hiding and we're trying to like cover our jeans with our arms and stuff. And we're thinking at any second, all these ducks are just going to start piling into this pond and we're going to shoot them and blast them away. And, and so we're sitting there and we're hiding and hiding and, and, uh, and the ducks are not getting any lower, but I start getting like more and more confident that I can shoot one of these ducks. You know, I'm, I'm 12, I'm, I'm pumped up. I got my older brothers there. I'm going to show off and, and we're all sitting there and, you know, my brothers are be still, be still, be still. And, and, uh, finally little 12 year old John cannot take it anymore. And, uh, I, yeah, I think I yelled, take them. Like, I think I'd seen that on TV or something. And I was like, take them. <laughs> and, and I climb up on top of the dam, standing straight up, point my gun up at the air at this huge flock of ducks and just pull the trigger. And I pull the trigger and on my first shot, like this duck just curls up and drops. And I'm talking, this is the ultimate sky blast. Like I wasn't aiming. I just, there was a bunch of duck, ducks up there. I pulled the trigger. And of course my brothers are like, dang it, John. And they all get up and like, so four of us empty our guns. So that's 12 shots or whatever. No other ducks fall. And I'm talking the, the sky is thick with ducks, but they're just so stupid high that we all miss. And, of course, my brothers start, like, pushing me and hitting They're like, John, like, you ruined it. Like, they could have come and blah, blah, blah. Looking back, you know, there was no way. Like, those ducks were not going to come land on our pond, especially with us laying, like, on the water side of the dam. But they just weren't going to come to the pond anyway. They were all headed to the sanctuary. But uh, anyway, we so the, the ducks finally go, and it's getting dark. And we walk over, and we find my bird. And it is the most big, beautiful mallard you can imagine. And I actually have – my dad mounted it for me. I have it on my wall right here to my right still to this day. Uh, gosh, what, 20 years later, something like that. Not quite 20, but close. Uh, like triple curl – massive just this big beautiful mallard uh and yeah that was my first duck i've killed a whole lot more since then but none of them will ever be as special as that very first sky blasted bird screwing my brothers out of the other ducks uh and yeah that's the story of my first duck well folks i just passed that hour mark so i'm going to go ahead and shut her down i really didn't tell as many stories as i'd planned on like i got a whole other list so uh let me know if you guys liked this one and i got plenty more stories left in the bank uh and i do another one of these maybe i won't do it all first or maybe i'll do my most recent or something like that i really didn't intend for this to be a a theme of my first uh hunts for all these different critters but kind of worked out well so i uh, hope you guys enjoyed this i had a great time reliving all these stories you know most of these were older stories from way back when. Uh, I promise I'm a lot better hunter than all of these stories just uh, laid out. You know, I've learned a whole lot since all of this stuff. So, so yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a great time. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, come back next week for some more stories, entertainment.
and probably a whole lot more knowledge than this one had. So, all right. Love you guys. See you later.